uh, uh, things happen uh, all around. Um, and so, but we're glad that you're here uh, and um, glad that everyone is safe. We're going to continue to pray for those who are along the coast. Uh, I just got a notification on my phone that uh, Dorian now has sustained winds of 180 miles an hour which is like a crazy, crazy, nasty, strong storm. And um, and it looks like it's just going to skirt the coast, but there's still enough uh, strength that it's going to cause and affect uh, people al- uh, living along the coast all the way up. So uh, we want to keep on praying uh, for, for all of them. Um, th- this morning, we have two new members that we would like to introduce you uh, to introduce to you to the congregation, uh, uh, Elizabeth Box. Uh, you probably have seen Elizabeth. Go ahead and stand up if you'd like, and just kind of do the princess wave. There we go. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, Elizabeth is uh, here uh, uh, on assignment with uh, the military, I, I, and I'm not going to say anything else, you know, because I, I don't want them to uh, to come, you know, the, the, uh, uh, have to kill me because I know something. Um, but uh, but no, she's here and. Uh, uh, She's a, a delight and very active with the uh, College of Young Pro Ministry, and we're grateful for her presence. We also want to introduce Rob Callahan. Uh, Rob, where? Uh, there we go. There's Rob. All right. It's nice to see you, Rob. And uh, uh, I think Rob was from is from Inverness, uh, is, and uh, uh, just up the way a little bit. And uh, it's uh, it's good to have him here with us. So please make uh, uh, time to 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 meet them and uh, and and welcome them. Ministries meeting on Saturday, this Saturday from uh, 8.30 to 10. We'll have breakfast at uh, 8 o'clock. This is primarily for our ministry leaders, our deacons, uh, those helping coordinate our ministries, but it's really for anyone that is interested in serving and being a part of the work here at Sunset. Uh, As all of you know, much like a tree, what you see above ground is pretty and nice, but the real work of the tree happens underground. And the same thing is true at sunset. Uh, Our ministry leaders and our deacons and all of our leadership, uh, the numerous people that serve in different ways, um, uh, serve this congregation uh, in, in a very faithful and conscientious way. And so these meetings are where we talk about something, some of those things, what that looks like. We're going to evaluate kind of where we're at for this year. What does 2020, uh, 2020 look like for our ministries? We're going to be talking about the calendar, talking about the upcoming budget. There's a lot of things that we'll be doing. And so uh, if you're able, please um, be present at that meeting on uh, the 7th. Also, the following Sunday on the 15th, there will be a meeting uh specifically on the subject of worshiping with our children. Uh, this is something that the staff has been thinking and praying about for some time, and, and we want to inform and guide and help think through out loud what this looks like for everyone. And so this is not just for the families with children, especially families with children, but for anyone that would like to attend. It will be on Sunday the 15th. I think I might have said a week after the Saturday, but it's on Sunday the 15th, immediately after assembly. Uh, lunch is provided, so that's a plus. Child care is also provided. So um, Julie Bergman is coordinating this event. So if you have any questions, you can actually uh, talk with her directly. But that will be on Sunday, the, the, the 15th, next Sunday. Um, if we had a party today, 
uh, we would have lots of milk, bread, water. <laughs> uh, someone told me that they had lots of chips that they had stored up, uh, a couple gallons of, uh, of gas. Um, once again, we've been reminded just how much uncertainty there is in life. We really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, there was a relatively strong sense of certainty that uh, we were in for some pretty rough weather here in, in the southern part of Miami-Dade County, and that's still a possibility. I mean, holiday weekend plans were changed, uh, SunQuest was canceled, and, and whether we believe that God pushed the storm off the coast into the sea or that the jet stream that God had put into place years ago uh, uh, finally did its work and kicked in. Uh, whatever and however that happened, a potentially scary, scary moment became a non-event in a question of hours. Uh, things change. We can plan for the best. We can plan for the worst. But rarely will we know what's going to happen. One of the things that's striking about the Gospel of Mark is what Mark wants to communicate to us is God knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows what's going to happen, even in the unfortunate and unpleasant aspects of his life. Jesus has already announced to his disciples on numerous occasions three very, very clear pronouncements that he is going to be killed. He is going to be mistreated by the Jewish leaders. They are going to uh, uh, take advantage of their power to uh, oust him as a rabbi, as a person. They are going to do their best to extinguish his life here on earth. Um, the, the first part of, of Mark 14 that, uh, that Paul Rowland covered two weeks ago, and he did an excellent job with that, uh, Jesus uh, refers to the perfume that the, the, the woman brings and says that what she's actually doing is anointing my body in preparation for my burial, which is going to be within a matter of days. And so Mark wants to leave no doubt that everything that's happening is according to plan. This isn't a last-minute thing. This didn't catch Jesus off guard he didn't know, uh, he, he wasn't unaware of all that was happening. And so there's going to be an emphasis on, okay, this is how it's going to, this is going to, how it's going to happen. And so what we're going to see in today's text is some of that foreknowledge coming out. Now, thanks to our emphasis in our particular fellowship on the weekly observance of the Lord's Supper, the text that we're going to read is going to be pretty familiar. Uh, it's something that we talk about regularly every week. This text perhaps might have been read uh, in our assembly at some point in the recent past. Many groups observe the Lord's Supper at different times, quarterly, monthly, annually. We do it every week, and so every week we're reminded of what is taking place with this uh, um, this celebration and this remembrance. Now, we have our share of controversies and our share of disagreements within our particular fellowship, and um, my purpose today is to avoid those as much as possible. This isn't the time or the place to discuss those. 
But what I want to do is to kind of focus on the direction that Mark takes this text and emphasize one of the more significant elements of this text. We're going to read the text in just a second, so you can be looking up uh, on your devices in your Bible, uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 and following. The text has three sections. There's the preparation for the Passover meal, and so we're going to see Jesus telling his disciples what to do to get ready, two of his disciples. Uh, once they're gathered for the Passover meal, Jesus is going to announce that someone there is going to betray him. And then the latter part of this text is where Jesus actually uh, shares the meal with his disciples and revisions two of the elements, the, the, the bread and the wine, into something different, it gives it a different meaning, and really takes us from the Last Supper to uh, the, the Lord's Supper, which is the uh, emphasis that we're going to be looking at today. So let's begin reading in Mark chapter 14, and, um, and, and I have a few comments, and, and then we'll think about this for a second. On the first day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And then say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I meet where where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make make preparations for us there. Now th- this is all kind of cloak and dagger, right? It's kind of strange. Go into the city and look for this man carrying a, a water jug. Um, it's kind of like every now and then in our staff meeting, we'll talk about, okay, did you meet so-and-so who was there visiting uh, in the Spanish assembly? I said, okay, well, what did they look like? Well, they were dark-haired and they were speaking Spanish. Yeah, okay, so we need to get a little more specific. So you would think, just by the description, that you know, how are you going to find a needle in a haystack, a man with a jug? Well, one clue that would have helped them that we might not be aware of was that in the ancient world, men didn't do water jugs. That was woman's work. Good, bad, or different, not making a value judgment, but that was something that women did. They went to the the, the well and they gathered the water, and so their job was to bring it back. So to see a man with a jug would have stood out. It would have stood out, and then they would have been able to identify him, and then he was supposed to come up to them. Now, how did... They know who Jesus' disciples were. Well, it's very likely that this was already all arranged, that everybody kind of knew, I'm going to send my disciples. And um, and so then they go to this upper room that had already been prepared, which meant that it had been swept clean of any kind of leaven or any kind of uh, products that might violate the Sabbath or the uh, Passover laws. And then they would be ready to then have the Passover meal. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened 
and one by one they said to him, surely you don't need me, each one said. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him had he not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, till that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Truly I tell you, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. I don't know that we can understand how chilling these words might have been to those disciples. They had spent the better part of at least three years, some of them perhaps longer, in Jesus' company. All day on a protracted, prolonged camping trip, as it were, they lived together in the same dwellings. They eat, ate all of their meals together. And now one of them is going to turn him in and betray him. Imagine you're at a big family dinner for uh, for Thanksgiving or or at some point to celebrate some important moment in your family's life. Everyone is happy, everyone is enjoying the food, the company, the conversation, and all of a sudden the father stands up and says, I just want to let you know that I have received a death threat in the mail this week, and in a few days I will be murdered. As the rumble crate goes through the whole family, oh, and by the way, one of you here sent that email or sent that letter. Immediately, people are going to start looking at one. Well, I know it's not me. It must be you. And they're, no, 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 I know it's not me. Surely it's not me. Surely it's not me. I wouldn't betray the Lord. I wouldn't sell him short. I wouldn't do anything like that. Now, we know, and even though Mark doesn't tell us, we know that within hours, Judas will betray him. So this prophecy literally comes true with him. But we also know that all the others will too. Every one of the twelve. First verse of next week's text. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. Every, every single one of you. Some out of greed, some out of weakness, some out of fear, some out of cowardness. But they all proclaim their innocence. Surely not me. Married couples in conflict, each spouse. Hey, it's not me, it's the other. The kid to the parent. Hey, it wasn't, it was... Johnny, or it was Sally, or it was whoever. 
But it wasn't me. It's their turn to do the dishes. They're the ones that are falling short. It's not me. And, And so as we gather around this table... We are all thinking, well, it's not me, and so we're, we're good. Because we've gotten this idea in our head that the Lord's table, the last supper that becomes the Lord's supper, is for righteous people. It's for the pretty and the good people. But what Mark is trying to communicate to us and what Jesus is telling us here is that No, the supper, this meal with me is for people who are going to betray me because every single one of those people that shared that meal end up betraying Jesus. The meal was and is designed for sinners. Now, now that sounds kind of weird, right? Because, I mean, we, we've grown up thinking this is just for the saved. This is just for the righteous people. This is just for the pretty and the good people. But that's not who was at the table in the upper room with Jesus. We, we, we've got the hardware nice and shiny. When we... Observe the Lord's Supper. It will be done in a very mannerly and orderly way. We do our very best to maintain the order. But if we just look around for a second, and we see different people who are gathered here today, we think, ooh, what are they doing here? Are they going to take the Lord's Supper? Surely not. Or maybe we take a look inside and we ask ourselves, what am I doing here? Who am I to share the bread and the cup? When we were, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was I learned of this book. It's been within the last uh, year or two. Um, having grandkids gives you the opportunity to read a lot of really cool books, um, books that weren't around when I was a kid or, or even when my kids were kids. Um, and, and so there's one that's called There's a Monster at the End of This Book. Delightful book. And when Caleb first told us about it, he was so excited because he said, there's a monster at the end of this book. you got to be careful, pops. Well, the story is pretty simple. Page by page, Grover, you remember Grover from years gone by? Scared as he could be, pleads with the readers not to turn the next page because the closer you get to the end of the book, you're going to get closer to this monster. And Grover wonders, is anybody going to pay attention? Well, we don't. We keep turning the page. No, don't. Don't turn the page. There's a monster at the end of this book. Don't you understand? And when we get to the end of the book... The monster is Grover. I just spoiled it. I'm sorry. Still fun. The monster isn't who we thought it was going to be. It's just Grover. So Caleb says, don't worry, Pops. It's just Grover. You don't have to be afraid. Well, you know, in a weird kind of way, I think what Grover is telling us that things aren't always what they seem. 
And the monsters aren't the ones that we thought. And the gospel stories tell us over and over, we're the ones who fail. All sin against Jesus, even the best of his disciples, even the good guys like Peter. And in the end, the monster is us. We're the monsters. We're the ones who betray Jesus. We're the ones who sin against him. So people like me and like you will always be invited to Jesus' table. People who betrayed Jesus last week are invited to share the table today. People who will most likely betray Jesus this week will do so. The, the, the Last Supper and the Lord's Supper is just so simple and beautiful because it tells us one basic thing, answers one basic question. What is God like? What is God like? And the answer is God is love. In fact, God has so much love that he's willing to invite people who are going to turn their back on him. He's willing to invite those very people to enjoy a meal with him. Not a single person on that guest list on that Thursday evening or Wednesday, depending on the time, not a single person on that guest list deserved to be on that list. Jesus doesn't invite them because they deserve to be. He doesn't invite them because of their characteristics. He doesn't invite them because of who they are. He invites them because who he is. And he is love. Tim Keller says, you are more sinful than you ever dared believe. But you're also more loved than you ever dared hope. God's love is greater than all our sin. And so the Lord's Supper becomes a meal that transforms sinners. It's not a ritual for the pretty people and the good people to feel better about themselves. It's a meal where sinners come at Jesus' invitation to say, I need help this week. I want to celebrate and remember God's love in my life. Tony Campolo is a professor in Pennsylvania and a speaker. Uh, and in one of his books, he tells the story of uh, sitting with his parents during a communion service when he was about six or seven. Said he became aware of a young lady towards the front that was just sobbing and shaking. The minister had just read the passage of scripture uh, where Paul says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And as the communion plate with the small pieces of bread was passed to her, she waved it away and lowered her head in despair. Tony says, it was then that my Sicilian father leaned over her shoulder and his broken English said, Take it, girl. 
It was meant for you. Do you hear me? She raised her head and nodded. She took the bread and ate. I knew at that moment some kind of heavy burden was lifted from her heart and mind. And since then, writes Tony, I have always known that a church that could offer communion to hurting people was a special gift from God. You know, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know what your week has looked like. I don't know what your heart looks like. But Jesus invites all to his table. If Jesus could invite Judas, of all people, Judas to this table, wouldn't he invite you and me? All are invited to this table. So so what do we do with this? And how does this change, not just today, what we're going to do in a little bit, but how does this change what we look like tomorrow? Well, first of all, what Mark clearly describes for us is that this meal is first and foremost about what God gives us, what we receive from the Lord. Jesus is at the head of the table and he says, take, eat, take, drink. In this meal, Jesus gives us his very life, his body and his blood. John Calvin uh, was a Christian writer who lived about 500 years ago. And he says that our lives are kind of like cups with lids on them. And what God wants to do is he wants to pour blessing into our life. He wants to give us his grace and his mercy. He wants to give us his body. He wants to give us his blood. He wants to give us his sacrifice. But I've got the top securely fastened. And so Jesus says, take. And I say, no, I'm not good enough. Jesus says, take. No, I've just got to work on myself some. Jesus says, take. Now I've got this cup. And Calvin suggests that coming to faith and having a relationship with God is that process of recognizing our sin and taking the lid off so that when God says take, we can say thank you. (laughs) And I can set aside for however short of a moment it might be my own selfish desires And I can say, pour out your love on me. Fill me with your presence. Let me sense you here through the bread and through the wine and the cup. So first and foremost, this meal, the Last Supper and the Lord's Supper, is about Jesus giving us his very life But the second thing is that it's about our lives being poured out for others. When we come to this table, we realize that it's not just about what I get, what I receive. It's also about what I can give. And so this experience at the table helps orient my life in a way that focuses not only on receiving, but also on giving. We become poured out people for the sake of others. 
we pass on the blessing. You know, one of the important values that our children get when they're present in the assembly with us is that they see us taking the Lord's Supper. And then they'll have the opportunity to ask, well, why are you doing that? What does that mean? Much like Jewish families years ago, and perhaps even today, continue, where the child says, why do we do this? And it gives opportunity to the father or the mom to say, well, we were slaves in Egypt. And God saved us and brought us out. And now we remember his goodness and his mercy through the emblems, through the bread and the wine. So so as you come to the table today, remember that your presence and participation at the table says a whole lot more about God than it does about you. When we share this with our children, we give the opportunity for them to to learn about God's grace and mercy. We come to receive. The Lord is here. Where do you need his grace and mercy today? Where do you need him to forgive you? Where do you need to confess and say, that is not me? Let him feed you with his body and his blood. And then secondly, as you come and as you're filled, think about the people around you and ask, where can you pour yourself out into someone else? Who in your life needs the presence of God? And the grace of Jesus to make it one more day. How can you be the presence of Jesus in their lives? Jesus takes a meal that had been celebrated for years and years and years. And says it's going to become a new celebration. Because now we're not going to remember the lamb We're not going to remember Egypt. Now we're going to remember me. And we're going to remember the new life that I offer through those who follow me. So whatever your concern, whatever your need, whatever your situation is today, this table is for you. If we can pray with you, if we can help you with the decision to draw closer to God, uh, we take the next steps, whatever that might look like in your life. Our brother Cheryl will be here to receive you and pray. Uh, uh, may, may God bless you today as you remember Jesus. God bless you. Let's stand and sing.